Welcome back once again to the Greg Coops Film Club here at uh, Hollywood's most enchanting Cinerama Dome, the Cine family located in the douchebaggy tennis shoe baseball cap wearing district, uh, right near the antique sandwiches of uh, Cantor's and the uh, excitement that pulses through this neighborhood once again. Cinephiles have gathered uh, this week, uh, this episode to watched the 1984 Oscar-winning Best Documentary of the Year by Rob Epstein, uh, The Times of Harvey Milk. And uh, you may applaud there. This is a podcast, and our reach on this podcast is uh, in the tens. And so to to be part of an undertaking like this, I think, behooves you uh, to uh, reassess uh, your uh, lax attitude that you wandered in here with and uh, straighten right up and join the party. Uh, this is a San Francisco movie, therefore I expect the crowd to be, yeah, fucking A. Uh, there's people from the city in representing and uh, I'm from San Francisco. Well, like everyone from San Francisco, I'm from San Carlos. Um, but if, if, it, rather than tell people the rest of your life you're from San Carlos, I opted with the San Francisco thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm sure you've met lots of people and they're like, I'm from Chicago. And then you're like, really, Chicago? And they're like, Cicero. <laughs> Carbondale. You know what I mean. They walk amongst us, uh, people from the Midwest. Uh, they dwell here. Uh, they, they, you know, uh, they want to tell me where they're from. I don't want to know. I'm from Bellflower, Missouri. Really? Well, you're here now. Uh, try to lighten up and uh, blend in. Get a tattoo. Get a piercing. Wear an iguana on your shoulder. Don't wear a leather vest. Just the iguana. Wear a leather vest with an iguana, and then the iguana can substitute for your personality. And then people will go, you're the cool iguana guy. Did you see the cool iguana guy? I did. Isn't he interesting? I think the iguana's doing a lot of the heavy lifting on that. Well, something just fell in the outer room. That's how you know you have the audience in your thrall. (laughs) So it's a San Francisco movie, so I expect the crowd to be like a San Francisco crowd, which is to say herding cats. Um, Every time I've ever been to an event in San Francisco, whether it was a a groove-in or a a post-sporting event or a peace march or uh, to hear people sing folk songs or whatever the event was, uh, rallies, uh, there are always so many agendas in San Francisco that we could never coalesce around one general theme, unless the theme was like, we hate white people. That always was a biggie, but um, that was a joke, but all right, everybody just carry on, carry on. Uh, the movie, by the way, tonight is a sensational movie, and it's going to move you and possibly make you cry. So I thought rather than cry on the way up to it, we might have a few yips, and then we'll get into the serious meat of what was going on, just to hip you to where I'm coming from, and as far as uh, the next few minutes go. Anytime I'm done talking, it's funny. So. <laughs> Thank you. You did quite well on that one. <laughs> uh, there 's a billion agendas i mean you 'll go to an event and there 'll be people like we like uh, uh, we came because we 're against uh, soup and then there 's th- the friends of people who are against soup who are a subgroup of them. Um, uh, I went to a peace march there, and people were, there was people like uh, gays with corgis, friends of gays with corgis. <laughs> And uh, that's the awesomeness that is there. Some people come and be like, I, I came just because I heard there was going to be butterflies. <laughs> right? Uh, and then someone will be like, oh, I'm not going to march. Why? <laughs> people are wearing leather. And you're like, fuck, how are we supposed to walk? Uh, and then, I'm not, you know what? I'm not marching today. Why not? Um, pe- they're letting people smoke. 
you're like, is there, a, do you ever wonder why the fascists win all their battles? Because they all march in lockstep together. You know, we hate the women and the poor and the people who have names, names that are vaguely dissimilar. And, uh, and like that, and, and they're happy, and, and that's a big tent, you know. Uh, it includes a lot of, if, if you're disgruntled, like, welcome, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know what they're doing? They're taking my gun away. They're not. Mm-hmm, they fucking are. And then a bunch of other people go, yeah, they fucking are. You're gonna go, I wanna be with them, because they're taking my gun away. Not here tonight, of course. This is a, a gun-carrying zone here at Fairfax. We're, uh, knowing this crowd tonight and the nature of this motion picture, I think there's never been a more tacky joke than the one I'm about to attempt here. Uh, I didn't mean to stop you dead. I thought there'd be some residual laughter and anticipation, but I can see that that's not going to happen. Mm. Uh, and, and so uh, that's how I felt like it should go tonight, really. Um, kind of... In the San Francisco tradition of the Cockettes and uh, the Sisters of um, Light and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and uh, every various aggregate uh, group that um, waved a flag or did anything in San Francisco, um, half-assed and grab-ass-tastic, I think, is the characterization of most of um, what would go on in San Francisco. You, my wife and I have a theory, and uh, the theory is that uh, every band from San Francisco pretty much isn't good. They can be cool or fun or even devastating, but like musically good is never like a huge overriding concern. And if you say Journey, you're gonna have to leave this room. <laughs> because they're not just good, they're fucking awesome. <laughs> you make me weep, right? I mean, okay, so, uh, you know there's the Grateful Dead, which is like, what, country music for people on meth? And, <laughs> Jefferson Airplane, God Rustum, fantastic band. Uh, at times all playing various songs. Uh, in the same song, you know, I'm, no, I'm playing my song tonight. Because you're a dick, is how that band. Uh, and then uh, uh, the other two bands from San Francisco. So, no, I'm trick. Every time with you guys. As if I don't know. Uh, my favorite band from San Francisco is the Tubes, who are also from this period uh, in San Francisco history. And there was a lot of uh, 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 dancing around in stage, a lot of uh, genitalia and whatnot, uh, secondary sexual characteristics, definitely. Uh, and uh, drug use, drug taking on stage, you know, cartoony drug, not actual. No one, like, chopped a rail. Although that would have been a great act in the 70s. Um, I wish I'd been the rapper Chop a Rail and had done some early hip-hop explorations in that era because that would have been a, quite an act. No one I ever saw really actually did that, but they had like giant quaaludes on stage and whatnot. And um, they, they were, I saw them a million times and we would take, and this is the fun part of being in San Francisco in the 70s was, were you really in San Francisco? I was in San Carlos, but we drove up every fucking weekend because we lived near enough. Uh, maybe 30 miles away. And uh, all my gay friends who moved up there after high school had cribs up there. And this is in the 70s in San Francisco. And so there was, you know, drugs and it was fun. And uh, so we'd go up and we'd uh, see bands and take acid or whatever. Um, no one takes acid anymore. It makes me sound like I'm from 1967. <laughs> and I'm going to stop this story right now. I'm, I'm adding 15 years to my age with this story and it really doesn't behoove me at all. What we would do is we would make uh, we, we would I didn't hear what you said you don't look it. thank you darling this story is so funny <laughs> people still took acid up into the 80s I think except for that movie that I hated so much the werewolf of Wall Street or whatever that had um, uh, 
the cast of Superbad and Leonardo was in it and that, that maybe. Um, the movie where they said fuck a lot and abused women and it was supposed to be about something, uh, which I wasn't buying in any fucking way, manner, shape, or form. It seemed like Scorsese had woken up one day and someone had shooken up a bunch of scripts of his other movies and, and taken them to Oliver Stone's house. And Oliver Stone's dog had run across it backwards. And then if that's what you were going for, uh, kind of a diffuse, uh, super uneasy, violently rapey, uh, a movie about white guys that you didn't care if they died and you wish they would have in that boat wreck. Uh, and the boat wreck comes like two and a half hours into it, like Moby Dick, like, get the fucking whale out here. Let's do this. Um, why are they in a boat? Well, you, why ask anything about that goddamn movie? But the, the point being, uh, does anyone remember what the point was? Yeah, yeah, drugs. Um, in that movie, they do qualids, right? Qualids. And they're taking them by the bushel. And I was trying to reconcile the time period of when they were doing that with the actual availability of qualids. Um, in the 70s, when I was in high school, and this is not, and that's, by the way, the 70s weren't better than now. They were just funner in a lot of ways because you never had to answer a text and no one ever sent a picture of their cock to you. <laughs> If they were gonna do it, they were gonna draw it on a peachy folder, right where the guy was handing the relay baton off or where the woman, woman was hitting the tennis ball. That's where you drew a dick, right? A big dick went right there. Sometimes with, you know, mush or cartoonish marks. And uh, that was as close as you were gonna get to that in those days. So that was an advantage. The other thing was, in order to do shit, you had to go and do it. That was the other thing. And that means like buying tickets to a show you wanted to go to. You couldn't pick up your phone. Your phone didn't exist. Your phone was a big bake light thing. Or if you uh, had groovier parents, your phone was an oval made of white or turquoise. And, and it rested kind of on itself like a thing. And, and the dial was here, which was super fucking jet age. And uh, <laughs> then later in the 70s, first it was then later it was boop, beep, beep, beep. And then we thought, oh, fuck yeah, we made it. <laughs> First calculator I had weighed 47 lunar pounds. And it only added. <laughs> you could have used a stick and a series of marsupials and had more accuracy. And it cost like $85, which was a, a, a shitload, as we would have said then. No one said shit ton then or fucktard. We did, however, say far out, and people were suckers, and you actually heard the word turkey in conversation. As in, really, you turkey? And no way Jose was allowed in society to be said by people. This is what made the 70s different, not all the things you're told made it different. Yeah, we had Patty Hearst and Jaws. Gerald Ford and gas lines. We had a war in the Middle East. We had terror. Everything that's happening now, we had then. We just didn't have a really weird, wild, eight-year kind of psycho German beer hall putsch government that put the clamp down on us the way Bush was able to, in case you were unclear about which president I was talking about. <laughs> in the 70s, we just had Nixon. 
and um, he was a little more Roman, you know what I meant? Sort of pacing up and down the halls, worrying about what the guards were thinking. Um, <laughs> the ultimate destruction of society wasn't his alter, or, you know, arching, overarching goal. He, he had other things to worry about, like could he drink and talk to all the presidential portraits in the office in one night? <laughs> but. Uh, then when Ford took over, Ford, Ford had little, if any, grasp of what was going on at all, which uh, w was a nice vacation, frankly, from Nixon's self-interest and uh, machinations and uh, his Machiavellian maneuvering. Uh, and uh, then after that, we had Carter, and I loved Carter. I didn't think he was like the best president we've ever had because he, other than the Camp David Accords, which were major, a lot of bad. No, the Congress wouldn't do anything, just like with Obama, and it was a Democratic Congress. This has turned into the McLaughlin Report Remembers. <laughs> My name is Greg Proops, and I'm here in Jan Bien Phu. The sound you hear behind me is the sound of the 82nd Armored Battalion. They're trying to take, hold on, they're trying to take a regular North Vietnamese village located over here. That was also in the 70s. So add all of this together and then add the fact that um, the women's liberation movement and the Equal Rights Amendment and Shirley Chisholm running for president, that was 72, and uh, the uh, Nationalist Organization of Women being created and all of the civil rights groups having come to fruition and the Black Panthers and all of the women's groups and all of the American Indians, uh, the La Raza movement, they were literally every, um, everyone was being represented in a major national way in the news all the time through protest and through legislation. And of course, the America dug its heels in and was resisting in a Trump-like awesome fashion. We didn't build walls in those days. We just tear gassed the fuck out of anyone who bothered. And uh, so that hasn't changed. Thank God there's some continuity in American society, you know? <laughs> well, um, and uh, it made us all feel good. It gave us hope. Um, the gay liberation movement comes out of uh, the 60s in so many different places, and in New York and in San Francisco. And uh, Harvey Milk, I don't think, had any intention uh, of being that person when his life started, and up until maybe 40, not at all. I don't want to talk a lot about his character and what he did, and so much as uh, what the movie's going to cover, um, but uh, I do want to say that in that bubbling cauldron of hope, all, all this horror and tragedy happens. But I think that the theme of this movie, and uh, I hope the theme of uh, everything that we can move forward on, is that uh, this is a tale of triumph. The, um, Harvey Milk didn't start out being the person that he ended up being. And everything that uh, was triggered by um, what happened in the trial, the mistrial afterward, but more importantly, the recognition that it gave uh, gay people as human beings uh, with dignity and uh, able to hold elective office and all of the things that come with it, being able to sit at the same table, being able to be in power. When people talk about uh, women being president or uh, uh, on the Supreme Court, there hasn't been a woman president, and there's only been four women on the Supreme Court ever. So it doesn't matter how many you put on, it's not equal yet. And there hasn't been uh, outed gay people as that long uh, that didn't have to fear for their very lives. And so, coming to this juncture, as we do, uh, uh, in the world we live in where 
a, a movie was made about this movie, basically, uh, where Sean Penn won an Oscar for playing um, Harvey Milk. And this movie, of all the movies they're showing this month during this 80s festival, is probably the only one that has won an Oscar. It won for Best Documentary in 84. What I was getting at was, um, now we have gay marriage, even though obviously gay people are not uh, free to live their lives in every single state, in every single instance. There's quite a lot to do. And uh, we're still fighting for everyone else's rights. Um, that across the board, uh, women and black people and Latins and everyone you can possibly think of. So in light of that, and uh, in light of the sacrifice that Harvey Milk made, and in light of the awesomeness and um, cool uh, uh, observancy of this picture, the um, um, fantastic reportage and uh, putting together of this film, make it a very uh, moving documentary. And uh, uh, I think in the end, uh, a fantastic moment uh, to share in 80s cinema, uh, in so much as it's a triumphant movie about a triumphant person, because the spirit of what they did uh, has imbued society to this very day. And now I give you The Times of Harvey Milk. That's an astounding documentary. And uh, uh, normally we talk a little bit now. Does, do, do, does anyone want to have some social intercourse, or should we just? Push on. Okay. Uh, uh, yes? Okay, cool. Uh, Robbo's got a microphone and he'll come back there. Uh, it brought back a zillion memories for me, of course, uh, being living in the Bay Area then and being a teenager and uh, moving to San Francisco right after all this happened. And um, uh, yeah, when you see how far everything's come since then, it's fantastic. But when, then when you also see uh, the hideous. Um, Reminders of when the count says at the end, uh, a lot of people still feel the same way. And then you know that the Republican debate's happening tomorrow night, and you realize, hmm, uh, uh, homophobia is always in store, uh, as is bigotry and racism and uh, misogyny. And so, anyway, someone I think back there wants to. Hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name? It's Lewis. Oh, hi, Lewis. Hi. Um, not to put too fine a point on it, but I am from San Francisco. Yes. And um, I wanted to talk about, it's one of those moments that um, I was home that day. I had no class at college. And uh, the news comes in. One minute you're watching Phil Donahue, and the next minute Diane's there making this announcement. And it's one of those moments that's surreal. And I don't know if they made it clear in the movie, but um, Jonestown was just about a week and a half yeah. before. Yeah. It was like a one-two punch, but um, Jonestown was different because it was it felt a million miles away. The only people who had ever heard of Guiana were either cartographers or had seen Papillon. And so there was not this immediate connection. But suddenly, the town went quiet except for the sirens. And it just didn't feel real. It feels it, one of those moments when you feel like you're in a movie and you want to say, turn it off, stop it. And um, then the beauty of the candlelight march followed by the insanity of the um, attack on City Hall was just overwhelming for everyone. And um, I remember my mother was a teacher at the time, and she was, a lot of the teachers were the anti-Briggs um, proposition, anti-no uh, on six. And that whole year just felt really um, overwhelming. It was just tough to take. 
So I, I just needed to put a sense of history on it. I, uh, the, the nostalgia is uh, overwhelming. I mean, I, I remember all those news reporters. I remember all those all that video. The woman that was and conducting so, the Sunday morning thing, Belva yeah, Davis. Belva Davis, yeah, right. KQED, just yeah. wonderful. So I, I just need to, I guess, verbalize that, just get it out there. It was an extraordinary time and a very deep, dark month. And there was a pall uh, cast over everything uh, that year in 1978, at the very end of that year, because of the events happened so quickly and were so unbelievably uh, striking and tragic. Uh, Leo Ryan was assassinated in Guyana, and there was live video of that on television. And um, then this happened like seven, eight days later. Uh, and then the White Knight riots were extraordinary. And if you don't know um, the uh, ultimate more, tr uh, the tragedy continues. Dan White uh, committed suicide uh, several years after that. And he, he, one year? One year after he got out of prison. After he got out of prison. So before this picture, evidently, uh, uh, was finished. Uh, and he, I believe he went into his garage and did that. And um, so there was no, there was closure, but there was no, uh, no ending, uh, no suitable ending. Violence is always a horrible circle that goes round and round and round and round. Um, it, yeah, the historical, the, Dianne Feinstein's still a senator, although I think she's wrapping it up. And uh, yeah, and, and Governor Brown is, uh, was governor when I was in high school and is still governor now, <laughs> some 450 years later. Tom Amiano uh, was in the state assembly for about six, eight years. Uh, and uh, was also, uh, a, was he not a supervisor in San Francisco? For ages. And uh, I was a comedian with him in San Francisco when I knew Tom. Uh, I still know Tom, but when I knew him in San Francisco, uh, he was a comic and um, a couple of great jokes. Uh, uh, who was it? Our patron saint was St. Francis of Assisi. He was, this, he was the patron saint of brunch. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, Tom was a, a very witty and uh, a fantastic person who, of course, went on uh, to a life in politics on the Board of Supervisors. And uh, Harry, Harry Britt, seeing Harry Britt again. Uh, yeah, if you lived there then, you knew all the names of the news. Jeanette Yeomans. I love she went, I thought he'd get the chair. We used to say things like that when people in California could get the chair. The bloody chair. Uh, um, an extraordinary year. Um, but also, like I say, uh, the, however incremental progress is, uh, it does move forward. And um, all the people who uh, grind their fists and their hips and stamp their little feet into the ground and don't want gun control or women's rights or gay rights or uh, black people to be treated humanly by the justice system or any of those things, eventually they'll lose uh, because the tide of history washes over. Does that mean everything is fucking free sailing? No. Uh, it's going to have to be fought for every fucking inch of the way. But uh, uh, I think the picture is an inspirational picture. And I think the fact that it won an Oscar, and then even subsequently to that, that Sean Penn won an Oscar, shows that we're uh, sensitive to that area, uh, uh, at least cinematically, uh, which is something in this shallow ass town. Uh, does anyone else have anything to say? And then otherwise we can push. Yes, sir. I just wanted to thank What's you. What's your for, name? Uh, I'm John, John Olive, and I've been here a couple of times. Yeah, sure. Hi, John. But um, it sort of brought, I was here, I'm gay, and I, I, I attended a, a rally across the street at Fairfax High School, uh -huh. anti-Briggs, anti that was led by the Mother Superior, who at that time headed Immaculate Heart College, really? with B. Arthur 
<laughs> Both Fantastic. So this, it doesn't this, get gayer than that, so, really. So, the, so this, nun, this nun and this old habit, and then B. Arthur, they're leading this huge rally right across the street. So it's funny, all these memories came back. But I wanted to thank you, because this is a little different kind of movie than what, <laughs> than what you usually uh, host, but it, it's, it's important. So I, I'm really grateful, and thank you. That's really nice of you, John. Thank you. And that, what a fantastic memory of Beatrice Arthur and a nun. Uh, yeah, we, uh, Jennifer thought we should share this because it's so important to our uh, upbringing in San Francisco and our relationship to the Bay Area. And, uh, and uh, also, they were, since they were doing 80s uh, indie pictures, uh, we got offered a couple different ones, and we settled on this one. And we don't, we haven't shown a documentary before. And uh, usually, we lean toward comedies and thrillers and uh, sort of kick ass. Um, but I, I was, I was excited to even have a chance to show it. You know what I mean? Because I don't think it, it shows that often anymore. And, and there's been a lot of subsequent, you know, pictures, and uh, obviously um, uh, about a, a dazzling variety of gay topics. But uh, I think this picture was t Titanic when it came out. Uh, and um, and still remains exceedingly powerful. Anyways, I'll let you guys go. Uh, I, I think I've made all the points I want to make tonight. It's so awesome to hear from people who were uh, there and all that. I don't have any idea what we're showing next month. Usually at this point I plug what our next picture is, but I don't think we know what it is and I don't think we have a date either. Um, that's the kind of organization and dedication that we bring to the Greg Proops Film Club. <laughs> it's an ad hoc, impromptu, awesomeness that just slithers around and then finally we find ourselves uh, uh, anyways thanks very much for coming out we'll see you next month with something and then after that in May and whatnot. Sideways is available today we put that one out on the thank you so much